smaller than he really is. But when you learn to praise him, worship him, talk about him, talk about how awesome he is, lift him up, talk about his faithfulness to you. Amen. He becomes bigger. He gets magnified. Your problem gets smaller. Amen. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. I'm sure that some of you already are beginning to uh, see your problem smaller than it really is. You know, I did this a lot when I was a kid. I'd go to church and, you know, any problems that I did have, uh, you know, problem. I don't know what problems you have as a kid, but, uh, you know, you have this tendency where in church everything feels great. Right. Every when, when you're here around other people that believe like you, talk like you, love God like you, you're, you're worshiping, you're singing about him, you're learning his word, you're seeing all his promises and you're just excited, man, because whatever problem you thought you had, it doesn't seem like a problem anymore. But the problem is, is we wake up Monday morning back with the same issue once again. Why? Because we didn't meditate. We didn't stay in it. But I can promise you that God isn't just big at church. He's not just big on Sunday mornings between 10 and 12, you know, and then we walk out the door and everything's right back to normal. What we learn here is so we can change the world out there. Amen. I want to talk to you today about being happy. Be happy. We got any happy people in the house today? I hope so. If you if you're not happy yet, hopefully you will be happy by the end of this message. Turn to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. We're talking about being happy. You know what I've noticed? Uh, I've noticed that most people only laugh at funny stuff. It sounds like a very simple statement, but we only laugh at funny stuff. We only laugh at things that actually make us laugh. So the the thing or what was just said or what we just saw or what we just heard dictates if we're funny or not, not us. We actually don't have control. Now, we do. We're going to learn this today. But most people live like they don't have control over what's funny and what's not, what they laugh about and what makes them happy or what not. But I want to show you today that you actually have control over that, that you can be happy in unhappy situations. We can laugh at things that really aren't funny at all. We can just have a hysterical time, just us laughing all by ourselves because we have an answer to a solution. But most of us, uh, we have to have something funny make us laugh. We have to see our favorite team, uh, you know, score a touchdown. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't get to rag on anybody uh, last week about the Florida Georgia game, and I'm not going to do it today. But I'm sure that there were a lot of people in this state and in this area that were not laughing uh, last Saturday night. They, they weren't smiling, um, but there were some people just a little bit south of here that were hooting and hollering, going crazy because the Gators defeated the Bulldogs. But I'm not going to rub that in or anything. Uh, I'm not even I'm not actually even a Gator fan. So you can't rag on me. Uh, I'm from Texas and that's where I uh, root for. And they've got something to root for lately. So that's good. But most of the times we're only cheering if we're seeing the result that we want rather than cheering to get the result we want. And there's a difference. There's a difference in the word. It doesn't tell us just to laugh when things are funny. It doesn't tell us just to rejoice when, uh, you know, everything is going good. It doesn't tell us uh, to, to laugh and hoot and holler and high five everybody and go crazy when everything is going your way and all your bills are paid and all the right amount of money is coming in. And you know what? It, it, it's funny because the believers that are taking on this position that I'm about to talk about, we look at them and we don't think they have any problems. See, I actually have a hard job. 
I've got a tough job because I actually have to walk out of here and do everything I'm telling you to do. You don't want a pastor that's going to preach to you and then not apply what I'm preaching. Anybody want that pastor? Anybody want to go to that church? Obviously not. So I, I, I'm being held accountable here because uh, I have to take the words that I preach and I have to walk through those doors and say, whew, that was a good message. Now I got to do that. I've got to be the first one to do it because I'm saying it. I heard a pastor say several years ago, it just really changed me. He said, it's the easiest thing in the world, the easiest thing in the world to get behind a pulpit and tell people what to do and not do it yourself. That's the easiest thing in the world. It takes another person. It takes a true leader, a real pastor that will walk back and say, look, I'm struggling just like you are, but I'm applying this stuff like I'm telling you to apply. And I'm seeing the answer in my life. But, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I do my best. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I'm human and sometimes I miss it. And sometimes you might see me with a frustrated look on my face. But I do my best to to operate in happiness and laughter and rejoicing and being excited no matter what's going on in my life. But don't let that fool you. My wife and I have troubles just like you do. Don't walk out of here saying, man, Pastor Mark, that's so easy for him to say. Because he's a pastor and everything automatically goes right for him. And all the right amount of money automatically comes in for him. And their bills are paid on time all the time. Just like, uh, you know, just like the Bible says, I wish I could be like that. No, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So don't let that fool you. But what I want to teach you today, what I want to train you and show you today in God's word, is every situation is hilarious to God. Every situation is funny to God. And we've got to learn to take on his response. Look at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 18. This is the parable of the sower. And he's translating it for him. He's already told the parable of the sower. He turns to his disciples and his disciples say, oh, we want to know what you're talking about. And he says, well, that's good because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. How do you know that there are some things that are mysteries? I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm going to tell you today is a mystery to most people. They don't know the secret to happiness. They don't know the secret to rejoicing. They don't know the secret to overcoming. But he gives us the secret here. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Let me show you what's going on right here. This automatically shows us that life in the kingdom does not come without a fight or an attack. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know, I'm going to get you in on the loop here from the, from the get-go. Just because you're here does not mean all your problems will be solved. Just because you came this morning, just because you're hearing me preach, just because you're sitting out there and and, and you hear what I'm communicating, what I'm teaching, what I'm preaching, does not mean that when you walk out of here, everything is automatically going to change because I heard the word. Faith comes by hearing, but faith grows by applying. Faith comes by hearing, but faith grows through application. See, we all have muscles in here and we have all developed our muscles to a greater or lesser degree. Everyone's got muscles, but what you do with them determines the results you get. 
Growth in your muscles comes through application, through forceful application. And that application is more times than not resistance and opposition. But that's what brings growth. So right here we see out the gate that there is an enemy that the second you walk out that door, he's coming around looking for what you left on the wayside so he can come pick it up. The enemy comes immediately, the Bible says, to snatch away the word, the word of the kingdom. So first off, we see right here that there is automatic opposition. A life in the kingdom does not come without a fight. Life in the kingdom does not come without a fight. This is he who receives seed. By the wayside. But look at this one. Here's the one we want to focus on today. But he who received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I just talked about that person. When we're here, everything feels great. When we're here, we feel like there's nothing God cannot do. When we're here, we feel like our problems are tiny. When we feel like our God is huge. But it's when we get out there and something shifts. Something changes. I don't feel the same that I did when I was in service at 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning. Monday morning, now I've got problems. We're right back, we're right back in that boat again. He who receives seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself. But endures, everyone say endures, endures only for a while. Endures only for a while. Limited endurance is not really endurance at all. You've only endured for a while, but true endurance endures and endures and endures no matter what. No matter what comes against, no matter what opposition shows up. So we've got to figure out here. How to get past this enduring for a while. Look at the next statement. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the devil. Is that what it says? Persecution and tribulations arise because of the devil? No. Persecution and tribulation arises because of the word. I hate to tell you this. Don't get up and leave. But what I'm telling you will bring trials and persecution and tribulation. The application of what's being said right now, this morning, is what will bring the trials and the tribulation and the persecution. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So we heard the word and we immediately received it with joy. Then persecution came and we immediately stumbled. This is he who received the word on stony ground. Notice here, and if you read on through, we've got, Two more types of ground that the word landed on. The next one is it landed among uh, thorns. And that was the distractions and the cares of the world. 
The individual heard the word and then got distracted with cares of the world. Started seeking first their own instead of seeking first the kingdom. And then the last one is the seed that fell on good ground and it was productive. It changed something. See, the whole goal here this morning is not just planting seed, but it's allowing that seed to go into the ground and produce a crop that produces a harvest, produces fruit. The whole goal this morning is for you to produce fruit in your life. But notice that the devil really only had to do with one of them. And that was the enemy came to snatch away the word that was spoken because it fell on, it fell on uh, the ground. It fell on the hard ground. It fell by the wayside, the Bible says. The other two... The other two was we didn't endure because of trials and persecution and we didn't continue because we started getting carried away with the cares of the world. Hmm. See, we thought the devil was the one keeping us from growing. We thought the devil was the one keeping us from producing. We thought the enemy had a part to play and had a hand in us not growing and becoming everything we are. But it looks like to me that... There's some responsibility on our part to determine the fruit that's coming out. It seems to me in these next two passages that you and I have a responsibility to uphold and to keep. When we hear the word, what are we doing with the word? Psalms chapter 119 verse 11, David says this. Psalms 119, 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's that? That's me being responsible with the word that I've received. I've hidden it in my heart. Why? Because I don't want someone to steal it. You hide things that you don't want someone else to take. You don't just leave it out in the open. You don't just leave your wallet sitting out. You don't just leave your, your favorite jewelry sitting out. You don't just leave your, mem- your, your uh, 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 things that are valuable to you and memorable to you just sitting around where anybody can get to it. You hide it. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin. That I might produce fruit for the kingdom of God. That I might produce Good fruit, because sin is bad fruit. Your word have I hidden in my heart. I've done something with it. I've done something with it. See, this is kingdom talk, because, look, church is easy. Church is easy, man. Coming to church, giving, you know, coming and singing songs. That's easy. But the kingdom brings responsibility to us. The kingdom puts something on us. It's what I do with it. It's what happens out there after I leave. We've got to figure out this endurance. The devil's only mentioned in the first instance. The other two become unproductive simply because of distractions. Distractions. The second you walk out that door, 
You can bet there will be something that will try to distract you from what you're hearing today. There will be something that will happen tomorrow at work. There will be something that you'll get in the mail later this week. There's something that will happen in your marriage or your home. There will be something that will try to distract you, whether it be a trial or persecution or whether it be a care of the world. One of those two things and either of those two things will keep you from being a productive citizen in the kingdom of God. Keep you from producing the fruit that we ought to be producing. Joshua chapter one, verse eight says this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Nowhere in there does it say you're prosperous and successful because you came to church. You're prosperous and successful because you spoke the word. You meditated on the word and you applied the word. Three things. It shall not depart from your mouth. So I'm speaking it. I'm meditating on it. I'm looking over it and keeping it in front of me and keeping myself in front, keeping it in my mind. I'm meditating on the word. And then lastly, I'm doing or applying the word. That's what makes you prosperous and successful. That's what makes you prosperous and successful. Once again, we see that there is responsibility on our part. So notice that trials, tribulations, persecutions show up because of the word. Because of the word. Sometimes, you know, we look at people in the world and we're like, man, you know, they're, they don't have problems. They're, they're doing so good. Look, when you came into the kingdom, you got a bullseye planted right smack dab in the middle of your back. And you just made yourself a target for the enemy. Because the enemy only goes after people who are threats to his kingdom. The question today is, are you a threat? See, the people in the world, they're not a threat. They're already doing his bidding. Of course he wants them to look successful and to think that they're prospering. When really they're dying, when really they're falling apart on the inside, when really they have no hope. But you and I have hope. You and I have hope. Look at Acts chapter 14. The book of Acts, chapter 14. Nobody knew trial and tribulation and persecution greater than the Apostle Paul. We think about the Apostle Paul. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. Mighty man of God, planted churches, uh, 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 was the greatest catalyst of the kingdom, the greatest catalyst of churches. Starting churches, planting churches, turning churches over to someone else, traveling and doing it all over again. And he didn't just go in easy places. We talked about this on Wednesday. The kingdom doesn't get invited. The kingdom doesn't get invited. We don't wait for people to come and say, hey, uh, would you like to come preach in our church? Would you like to come preach in our town? No, the kingdom sometimes goes places and people don't want to hear it. Paul went a lot of places where they said, get out or we'll kill you. And even attempted to kill him. It was not always easy. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Opposition. 
Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. No, Paul didn't just get up and walk away. Paul didn't just say, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to step on your toes. I didn't mean to uh, trespass into your ter- I see you've got this area covered, so let me just move on over here where people want to hear me preach. And people were excited to hear me because there were those places. There were churches that were writing, hey, when's the next time you're coming? And Paul said, man, I'm so excited that you want me to be there. I can't be there right now, but here's a letter. And he said, I long to be there, but I'm sending you Timothy. I'm sending you Titus. I'm sending you. There were places that Paul could have went and where it was comfortable and easy. He said, man, these people love me. These people want to hear me preach. They love, they love when I come by. They're giving me gifts. They're, they're sowing into the ministry. <laughs> Waiting for them to bust through the wall over here. Not to build a fence. But there were, there were churches, there were people that said, we want you to be here. But Paul was seeking more than that. Paul was a kingdom seeker. Paul was a kingdom seeker. And Paul knew that the kingdom takes territory that the enemy already has in his possession. Why? Because the enemy has come and he has taken over this land, but he doesn't belong here. And it's our job to run him off. It's our job. It's our job to run him out of the media. It's our job to run him out of arts and entertainment. It's our job to run him out of sports. It's our job to run him out of our schools and our government. It's the church's job. That's what we're here to do. We're not here to just say a prayer and wait for Jesus to come take us home one day. We're here to take over the territory. This is kingdom territory. That's why we're here. And so Paul knows this. He says, sure, I could go to the comfortable, easy places, but I'm going to go where God tells me to go. But because of the word, because of the word, because of the word which he preached, which he lived, which he taught, which he spoke, persecution and trials arose. There were people walking behind him. That were poisoning their minds. Look, there might be someone that, you, you know, you're trying to live out and you're trying to talk to somebody at work. Man, my pastor, he preached this awesome message yesterday. You got to hear this. You should come visit my church today. And they want to poison your minds. They want to say, that's a bunch of garbage. That God's not, you, you're, God you serve is not even real. Nobody cares about him. You really waste your time with all that. Do you give to your, you actually waste your money on giving to your church? What are they even doing with it? And they're poisoning your minds and they're, and, and, and they're coming behind to do what? Snatch away the word that was spoken. I just let you in on a secret. The enemy tries to come and snatch away the word that I speak in my own life. There are times I get in that car and I drive home after a Sunday afternoon and and the enemy will come in and say, you really believe that stuff you just told them? Are you sure that's true? Do you really, you really believe that God wants to provide? We taught a message just a few weeks ago, the Lord will provide. You really believe? Do you not see all the issues in your life? You're going to tell them God will provide? You have the audacity to tell them the Lord will provide and you have this, this, and this? You'll tell them that God is your healer and he wants to heal your body and your son is sick at home right now? Yeah, the enemy does that to me. 
Don't think that I'm, I, 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 you know, it just doesn't come to me and the devil doesn't bother. No, he wants to take me down because when you get the leader, you get everybody else. Sure. That's what he does. But he's a deceiver. And he's a liar. So that means everything he says is a lie, which means I can turn it around and find the truth. The truth is real easy to discover when you know the lie. When you recognize that something's a lie, it's all of a sudden real easy to understand. Oh, here's the truth of it. You're telling me that God is not a healer and he doesn't want to heal my body. He actually puts sickness on me. Oh, then that means that he doesn't put sickness on me. That means it's you who put sickness on me because you have come to steal, to kill and to destroy. But my God came, my Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. That's the God I serve. Thank you for telling me that my God is a healer. Thank you for telling me that my God brings life. Yeah, I don't entertain that. I resist that. I cast those thoughts down. I don't let the devil tell me that everything's going to fall apart. I don't let the devil tell me that we're unsuccessful in what we're doing and unproductive. I don't let that happen. But he sure does bring it. Why? Because trials and persecution, tribulation shows up because of the word. See, I've counted the cost. I've counted the cost. I know going in, but because I'm preaching this, the enemy, you know, I, I, I heard... Uh, uh, a pastor say this several years ago. He said, anything you refuse to teach or preach on in your church is an area you can expect your people to fail. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. My people are destroyed, Hosea 4, 6, for a lack of knowledge. What you don't know will kill you. If I refuse, I God, you know, money's a touchy subject. I mean, we got an economic you know, downfall right now. I'm not, I'm not going to preach on um, tithing? I, these people don't want to hear about tithing. They're having trouble just paying their own bills. Uh, God, I'm not going to deal with that. That's an area I can expect you to, to fail in in your own life. Because I'm not giving you the knowledge, not giving you the word on money and finance and giving and tithing and offering. But no, we teach it. We preach it. But trials and persecution will come because of... Now look what happens here in Acts chapter 14, verse Eight. So he's preaching. Some unbelieving Jews came, tried to stir them up, poison their minds. And Paul says, you know what? I'm just going to preach it even harder. You try to run me out. I'm just going to keep on going. Look what happens in verse eight. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Is that verse eight? That's not verse eight. Verse eight. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting. A cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Faith comes by hearing. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith. Seeing that he had faith. Faith is visible. Faith is visible. Seeing that he had faith to be healed. Said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped. And watch. Glory to God. A healing. A miracle. He's in church. And this man is being healed right in front of them. Legs straighten up. He says, stand up and walk on your feet. He doesn't have a prayer line. He doesn't bring them down front and says, all right, let's pray. Let's get a few ushers. Can we get some elders back here? Can we pray and get some deacons? Come on. And you, you're an intercessor. I need you to pray in tongues so loud that you're just nobody can even hear themselves. Think We got to we got to get this. No, he just says, stand up on your feet. They did things different in the book of Acts than we do today. They spoke to the problem, not 
talk to God about the problem. Okay, that's a different message. So this man is healed. This man is delivered. This man is set free by the power of God. Now, what do you think would happen if that happened in our church? What do you think would happen if we had a lame man come in here, uh, you know, in a wheelchair, come right down here, and I just say, you know what, sir, in the name of Jesus, stand up and be healed. And he stands up. Would we be rejoicing? Would we be excited? Would we run out the doors and stop every car and say, you, you won't believe what just happened in here? you got to come to this church. Would the, would the word not spread and we wouldn't be able to contain them? But watch what happens here. Because people are silly, man. People are so silly. Verse 11. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. These people are apparently ignorant and they think that certain gods, Mercury and Jupiter, have shown up right there in their presence. Zeus and uh, they, they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men! Why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things, useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all the things that are in them, who is who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. Gave us rain from heaven in fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Now, look what happens in verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes. You just saw a natural demonstration of God's power right before you. But because of the word, trials and tribulations and persecutions will show up. Verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, those troublemakers, they came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Supposing him to be dead. Uh, many scholars believe that this is the instance where Paul speaks of later on in, in, in Corinthians where he says uh, that uh, I went up to the third heaven. We're out of the body or the body. I do not know. But I went to some scholars believe this is the instance where he actually died. Whether he died or not, they thought he was dead. Apparently, there was lifelessness in his body to where they just drug him out of the city. That is how bad he got stoned. Why? Because he healed a guy. Because he healed a man. Because he's preaching the word of God and signs and demonstrations follow. Did Jesus not promise that in Mark chapter 16? Did he not say signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word? Absolutely. But he also said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to me, to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Paul, 
They're going to take your life. They're going to stone you so bad that they're going to think you're dead. They're going to beat you, whip you. You're going to get shipwrecked. You're going to go through all this stuff in your life. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because of the word. Because of the word. Because of the word. Now look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel. No, sorry. Verse 20. Verse 20. However, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went home and said, forget this mess. I'm not preaching anymore. This stuff is for the birds. I'm not preaching. I'm not healing another man. They can just die sick. I don't care. God, just take me home. I don't want to be here anymore. These people don't even want to hear what I have to say. No, it doesn't say that. It says he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Paul wants some more. Paul says, is that all you got? Is that all you got? Look, I'm back. Now what are you going to do? What does Paul do? He endures. Endures trials. Endures persecution. Endures tribulation. That comes because of the word. Verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Yeah, the same places that were sending people in to poison the minds of everyone he was just preaching to. Yeah, I know that. That late phone bill all of a sudden looks really small compared to Paul being stoned for the sake of raising up. A lame man. I know our issues, our car troubles, our our late payments, the no gas. All these issues look small now. The trials and tribulations arise. Persecution arises. And you become unfruitful. You become unproductive if we don't endure. Endure. Stay the course. Now, the question is, is how do we endure? The question is, is how do we endure? Because the kingdom life is a race. The kingdom life is not an event. See, we've turned, uh, you know, coming to the kingdom an event. You might have the date written down in the front of your Bible. Your parents may know the date. If you were a child, you may remember the day that you gave your life to God and you cried out and you said, I cannot do it anymore on my own. I need you in my life. I make you the Lord of my life. That was the starting point, not the finishing line. The kingdom life is not an event. It is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It requires endurance. That means there's good times and there's bad times. Look at First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 verse 6. First Peter chapter 1 verse 6. We only laugh at funny stuff. 
But we've got to change this as believers because in the kingdom, you've got to learn to laugh at all of it. In the kingdom, you've got to learn to laugh when you have no reason to laugh. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have to learn to laugh when it's not going our way. We've got to learn to operate in joy and gladness, rejoicing even in the midst of of various trials and tribulations. James chapter 1, James chapter 1 verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When you fall, sometimes we end up in trials and it's not even our fault. You had nothing to do with it. That's just how it fell. That's just how it came. When you fall into various trials, count it All joy, not some of it joy, not the good stuff joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith, the enemy is not testing you, he's testing your faith. The testing of your faith produces patience. But let let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm going to tell you right now, happy Christians will change the world. Happy Christians will change the world. Sad Christians don't change the world. Disappointed Christians don't change the world. Frustrated Christians don't change the world. Don't look at me with that tone of face right now. Come on, don't look at me and say, you don't know. You don't know. I know. I know. But I know that if I can keep a smile on my face, my face, and if I, I can rejoice, if I can rejoice, if I can rejoice in the midst of trial, I will see myself through. Count it all joy. If your joy is waning, your victory is slipping. I'm going to tell you right now, the outcome of the trial you're in is dependent upon your ability to remain joyful, to rejoice. Paul said, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. In the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. If you continue on in James chapter 1, go down to verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. It's amazing you can ask in faith and doubt in your heart. They both have to be lined up. Ask in faith 
believing that what you ask for will happen. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything, anything from the Lord. See, the man that received the word immediately with joy, but then walks out. And becomes distracted by the cares and the trials and the persecution of the world. That's a double-minded man. What's that? I was joyful, but now I'm scared. I had peace, but now I'm anxious. Now I'm worried. Double-minded man. In fact, the word worry, the word worry itself means to divide into two parts. But no, a mind that is set, S-C-T, set, that means fixed, that means immovable. Colossians 3 tells us to set our mind on things above, not on the earth below. Set, fixed, immovable, nothing can shake you, nothing can change you. I wish I could tell you some of the testimonies in this church. People that are going to the same church you're going to, hearing the same words you're hearing. I wish I could tell you their story. And there's a day coming when they're going to share the story. And it's going to change your life because you're going to see God's faithfulness. Where it should have never happened. The outcome that was impossible. That blew everybody's. It blew doctors away. It blew lawyers away. It blew attorneys away. It blew people that were on their side away. I wish I could tell you people that would text me, people that would call me as their pastor and say, I'm struggling. I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can still believe it. And I would just encourage them. Look, this is faith. We're standing. There's nothing that can change this. There's no other outcome. There's no other way this can happen. And believing that changed their life. Believing that Gave them an outcome beyond what they. Why? Because my God is greater than, does more. He is exceedingly above all that I can ask or think. The question is, are you asking it or thinking it? Because if you're not asking or thinking it, he's got nothing to do exceedingly far above. But the way we get through tests and trials. Is with joy. That means you laugh when you have no reason to laugh. But Pastor Martin, I will look like an idiot. Yes. Yes, you will. Yes. You will look like an idiot. Because what is natural to this world is unnatural to us. Kingdom citizens respond different. Kingdom citizens respond different and in turn change everything around. We are world changers. This room is filled with people that can change the world. One trial at a time. One trial 
at a time. Jesus, in John chapter 17, he prayed. He said, God, I pray that you get them out of the world as fast as possible. Don't let them have to deal with that mess. Don't let them have to deal with the devil. Don't let them have to deal with trials. Just get them out. Just, I pray that the second they pray that prayer, you just suck them up to heaven. It's not what he said. No, Jesus prayed and he said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. So, sorry, uh, God answers Jesus' prayers. And since he prayed it, it's probably going to happen. He is not asking God to take you out of the world. He's asking God to keep you in it so you can change the world. I'm going to tell you right now, you have no idea what your testimony would do for someone else. This next year, we're about to kick off testimonies because there are testimonies all throughout this church. And we're about to start giving and sharing our testimonies. You need to know who the people you're sitting next to, what God is doing in their lives as a result of sticking it through, enduring When Paul talked about the kingdom life, he used words like a race, marathon, fight, struggle. He didn't use words like roses, cotton candy, cheerful. No, we make it cheerful. We choose. We don't tell the world when we're supposed to be happy. Or we don't allow the world to tell us when we're supposed to be happy. We are happy no matter what. We don't let the world tell us when to laugh. We laugh no matter what. We don't let the world tell us when we can get up and cheer and rejoice. We rejoice no matter what. We don't let the world tell us when to put a smile on our face. We smile anyways. We smile anyways. Jesus said, as you sent me, I send them. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. You're not of this world. You're not of this world. You've got a different kingdom that backs you up. You've got a king. You've got a different government that backs you up. I don't care what the healthcare system does. I don't care what the economy does. I don't care what happens in the government. I don't care what they do in my schools. I am of a different kingdom. I'm of a different government. My king has his own healthcare system. My king has his own economic plan. My king has his own government. And if I uphold myself to righteousness, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. That's the God I serve. That's the King I serve. And you've just got to be that bold about it. You've just got to get that unction inside of you that I'm laughing. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what report they give. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But I'm standing my ground. I'm looking ahead. I'm enduring. I'm running. I'm chasing. I'm going after what God has told me to go after. We have to quit being moved and tossed 
and pushed around by what the world tries to tell us to do. Quit letting your bank account tell you when to laugh. Quit letting your marriage tell you when to smile. Quit letting your body and the sickness and the medications to tell you when you feel good. Put it on. Put a smile on your face. Get your shoulders back. Stand up straight and get excited about what God is going to do. Because He's going to show Himself faithful. Abraham, it took him 25 years to see the promise. But he said this, I know that my God is faithful to complete that which He promised. Father, I thank You this morning. You have given us promises. You have given us direction. You have given us enlightenment in your word. You have told us over and over and over, just like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, that you can do it. Father, we will be the ones that look back at the Red Sea and say, if he can pull us through that, he can pull us through this. We don't grumble. We don't complain. No, we are excited about taking the promised land that's before us. Because you are faithful to perform that which you promise. So we put a smile on our face. We change our countenance. We change our words. No longer do we speak doubt and unbelief, but we speak faith. And if we can't speak faith, we don't say anything at all. Well, we are bold to stand in the face of the enemy. Bold to stand in the face of the world and say, You will not determine my level of happiness. You will not tell me when to rejoice. You will not tell me when to lift my hands in the air and put a smile on my face and thank my God for what He has done. Even though I don't see it, He already has done it in the Spirit and I'm just waiting to see it take place in the natural. on right now wherever you're at there are people in this room you're going through something and you know your words have been wrong you know your countenance has been wrong you know your appearance has been wrong you need to repent right now in the name of Jesus you need to say God I'm sorry for not relying on you I'm sorry for not going to your word I'm sorry for not standing on your promises but from this day forward I speak your word and your word only that's you, you need, to, you need to make that confession with your mouth right now. That's you in this room. You, you tell him, I won't speak another negative word. You let him know. You let him know you're sorry. I'm sorry for not believing in you. I'm sorry for not operating like I already had the answer. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. That your word is life changing if we live it, if we apply it. We can receive this word immediately with joy right now, but that doesn't determine fruit. It's what we do outside of these doors. But Father, I thank you that we've got a room full of doers. A room full of doers. James 1.22 says that we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Deceiving ourselves. No, we're not going to walk out of here deceived. We're going to apply the Word. We're going to live the Word. 
We're going to do the word. We're going to meditate in the word. We're going to speak the word. We thank you that we will see your promises come to pass in our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen means so.